Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Genesis, the very, very beginning. We start a new series I'm really excited about, uh, a new series called What We Believe, or Do You Believe, <laughs> What You Believe, You Believe. So let me say that again, because I messed it up. Do you believe what you believe you believe? We're going to talk about belief. We live in a world where people of belief, people that have faith, are abandoning that faith. We live in a world that, uh, where we see young people that go off to college sometimes and they encounter a professor that, that tells them there is no God or, or in, in some of the teaching that goes on. And because they don't know so well what they believe, they abandon their faith. It matters what we believe. It matters. And so as we think about that, what do you believe about what you believe? In this series, uh, we're going to talk about what we believe about God. We'll talk about that today. It matters what we believe about God. We'll talk about in the next week what we believe about the Bible. Is it God's word and how do we know that it's something that we can trust and it's reliable? We're going to talk about Jesus and, and can we uh, know that, that what we know about him is, is reliable? Can we really put our faith in what is the hinge pin of Christianity, the resurrection? Is that really, did Jesus really rise from death? We're going to talk about that. And we'll talk about the question that continues to be asked, the question that is probably the most often cited reason that people abandon their faith. It's the question of evil. The question in this world that we live in, where this world where there is evil and there is wrong in our world, if there is a good God, how could evil exist? We'll talk about that. Friends, because it matters what we believe. So let's get started as we think about talking about what we believe, something that astronomer Carl Sagan in his book, Cosmos, what he said. He said, the cosmos is all that is or was or will be. That line encapsulates in that one line, one of the most pervasive ideas in our culture, the idea that there is no God. That everything that we see and feel and touch and think is a result of natural forces at work. That nothing exists beyond the natural world. That there is no supernatural. There's no spiritual explanations that speak to the deeper questions of life and existence. A related pervasive idea of our culture is that science and faith are at odds. That any conversation that we would have about the origins of life and what life is all about, that, that faith doesn't have any place in those conversations. You could probably summarize it with the idea that some would say, well, science is real and faith is fairy tales. Again, this idea that science and faith somehow are at odds, it hasn't always been that way. In fact, for millennia, scientists were, were people of faith. The foundations of science were built by people of faith. People like Isaac Newton, who formulated the laws of gravity and motion, but who actually wrote 10 times more about theology than he did physics and thought that he would be remembered for that rather than what he discovered in physics. Robert Boyle, who is the father of modern chemistry, also a devout follower of Jesus and wrote extensively on theology. Michael Faraday, who's well known for his work in electricity and electrochemistry, follower of Jesus and and took time for over 20 years to serve as an elder of his church. George Washington Carver, who was instrumental in some of the agricultural discoveries that if you're a farmer today that you use to this day, and some of those principles that, that he discovered, George Washington Carver, a great man of faith, he said this, religion is necessary to reason 
as reason is to religion, that one cannot exist without the other. And a scientist that probably most of us have heard of, if we haven't heard about some of those others, Albert Einstein, and Einstein said this, science without reason is lame. I love that he said lame. <laughs> science without reason is lame. Religion without science is blind. And so today, we don't want to come and be blinded. We don't want to come and be afraid of science, to talk about these, 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 these questions, these deeper questions of life, but be a, afraid of what science might say. We don't have to check our brain at the door when we come into the church house, as Josh McDowell used to say. We want to build faith on a solid foundation. It was Socrates who became, what he wrote, became the basis for the oft-cited Socratic principle of inquiry when he said this, we must follow the argument wherever, like a wind, it may lead us. And so today, let's follow the argument. Let's follow the the, the logic, and to see where it ends up. And to see where it ends up on what is a foundational question about life and reality. And the question is a question that every worldview has to ask. It's the question of, the question of, um, the question of origin, the question of, of where it all began. And I would invite us to consider that. Is there a God behind everything. Where, where did it all begin? As we think about this series, I know there's probably maybe someone, someone's here today, and you might think of yourself as an atheist or maybe agnostic, that, that you've got some hurdles. You've, you've never maybe crossed that line of faith. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you, you, you have some things that you just can't get over. And, and, and today and through the series, that you'll find some help as God God answers some of those questions as God gives you some reasonable, uh, just some, some examples that help you to understand that he's real and that he wants to be in relationship with you. I've been praying for you. At the end of this service today, I'm going to invite you to take that step of faith, to invite Christ to be your Savior. Think about that. Open your mind to what God might want to say to you as he reveals himself to you today. Some of you are here today and you have someone in your life that uh, is not a follower of Christ that you've been thinking about. I just want to encourage you through this series to pray for them. Maybe you could even invite them to it or, or share the link to this message or other messages, messages in this series with them that God might use it to help them to, to remove some of the hurdles so that they can come to a faith in Christ. I love what 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. And finally, I would encourage you to lean in. Maybe you're here today, as Crystal was talking earlier, and you're going through something. You're walking through that dark valley of the soul, that dark night of the soul, and you're, you're struggling. And so today, as we talk about how great our God is and that our God breathed this world into existence, that our God is in charge of this world, that as you go through your own struggles, you can just be reminded that that big, great God loves you cares about you, is interested in you, and wants to walk with you through that valley so you could be encouraged today.
Uh, I want to give you some resources, point some resources out that might be helpful. I've really enjoyed uh, getting ready for this uh, series. There's a couple resources I want to, to, to point out in case you want to get some bonus points, some brownie points, and go a little deeper even. Uh, a couple of great books. Uh, I love the, the title of this first one, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, Norman Geisler and Frank Turek uh, wrote a great book. Uh, there's another one that Anthony Flew uh, wrote. There is a, no has been marked out, there is uh, a God, how the, the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind. And Anthony Flew's a scientist and he, uh, just his story of coming is, uh, from, from no, no faith as an atheist to faith in Christ, or f- faith in, in, a, in a God that created. Uh, and so there's also an, a, a third resource we just throw out to you. Uh, been helpful to me and I'll use some and use some of these resources in what we talk about the next few weeks. Uh, but there's a, a podcast called The Cold Case Christianity. Uh, it's a great uh, podcast. There's a book by that same title. Again, all great resources. Encourage, encourage you to take a look at them if you want, again, some, some bonus material. So let's jump in as we think about what we believe. That what we believe matters. And so let's start at the beginning. And start at the beginning of God's word, the beginning of everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What we read in Genesis 1-1 is the foundation, just think about worldviews, of the three major religious worldviews that answers this important question, where did, where did it all come from? In the beginning, God created. That's theism. So Christianity, Islam, Judaism, all rooted in this idea that God created, that there is, there is a God outside of everything that we know that created. It's like a painter, God, who paints, created this world. Breathe this world into existence. There's a personal God who created this world, but it's not part of this world. Again, the difference between a painter and a painting. So again, God created. The second, uh, the second idea, uh, worldview, is the, that answers that question, where do we all come from, is, comes from the pantheist. It's the idea that God is all. The the, the worldview would be that someone, uh, this, someone that believes this is that, that, they're, that God is an impersonal God, that God's in everything, that God's in the grass, God's in the trees, God's in the sky, God's in you, God's in me. Major world religions like Hinduism, some forms of uh, Buddhism, uh, New Age, uh, think Star Wars, kind of that vibe of, of the Star Wars world. That's the idea of pantheism, that God is in all. And then the third major worldview uh, would be atheism. Now, in fairness... Many atheists would not say that atheism is a worldview, so you might call it naturalism. But it's the idea that there is no God at all. And following that, that analogy of the painting, the pantheist, to, to go back, the pantheist would say that, that they would believe that God is the painting. The theist would believe that God, that the, the painter painted the painting, and then the atheist would believe, again to follow that analogy of the, of the, of the painting, the naturalist would have believed that the painting has always existed and no one actually painted it. That would be the, the atheist. Human, uh, religious humanists would again fall in this category. So to summarize, here it is, God, the theist believes God made all. The pantheist believes God is all. The atheist believes no God at all. And we live in a culture that wants to believe that all truth is 
relative. That, that, that what's true for you may not be true for me. And that's good. Just believe whatever you want to believe. That's okay. We can all just believe whatever we want to believe. And it's all true if you just are sincere with what you believe. But that idea violates logic. It matters what we believe. Because opposites can't both be true at the same time. Now, they can both be false. Two ideas can both be false at the same time. But they both can't be true in the same sense at the same time. It's one of the fundamental laws called the law of non-contradiction. It states that something cannot both be true and false at the same time in the same sense. Very simply put, here it is. If it is true that God exists, then it's false that God does not exist. If theism is true, then atheism is false. If Christianity is true, then views that are contrary to, to, to Christianity and, and to those foundational beliefs around Christianity, then other things are false if Christianity is true. In short, all views cannot be true at the same time in the same sense. And so what we believe matters. What we believe about God matters. What we believe about Jesus matters. What we believe about morality and religion matters. So in this series, we're going to talk about what matters. It matters both now and it matters for eternity. False ideas about truth lead to false ideas about life, which lead to false ideas about eternity. And if you didn't get the memo, eternity lasts a really long time. And so it matters what we believe. So do you believe what you believe? You believe. So in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's spend some time just following that logic, as, as, as Socrates said. And, and we'll start with the cosmological argument. It's the, the, that, that Greek word comes from the word that, that means world or universe. So it's the argument from the beginning of the universe. So if the universe had a beginning, then the universe had a cause. And so the logic goes like this. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. You don't get something from nothing, in other words. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe has a cause. So if you're taking notes, you could say it this way. A world of causes points to a cause. We live in a world of causes. Francis Bacon, who's the father of Modern science said true knowledge is knowledge of causes. Science is about finding causes. And so we see in our universe, the different facets of our universe, that things that happen always have a cause. Something caused them. You might uh, remember from science class, some of you, uh, I don't know, maybe they don't teach this anymore, but the, back in the day, uh, spontaneous generation Something we talked about, it was debunked in the 18th century or so. I don't know why we talked about it because <laughs> I'm not that old. Um, but spontaneous generation was this idea that frogs, that, that think something can come from nothing. It was the idea that life can come from non-life. So there was the idea that frogs come from mud. It was the idea that uh, pieces of cheese and bread wrapped in rags and put in a dark corner would eventually produce mice. It was the idea that Maggots come from rotting meat. That something, that not life can come from non-life. That, that something can come from nothing, but we know that something can't come from nothing. Living things don't come from non-living things. And so the first piece of logic that everything that had a beginning had a cause. 
It's the law of causality. It's the law of cause and effect. It's the, as we think about that, following that logic, the second part of that logic, if every beginning had a cause, which we just talked about, and then the second part of it, the universe had a beginning. Uh, again, you might not know a lot about Einstein or his proofs or theorems or whatever, but you probably have heard of this theory of relativity. And Einstein's theory of relativity made finally the point the science, with scientific evidence, with the theory of relativity, that the universe had a beginning. Debunked the what some non-theist believed about the universe being eternal. Well, it just always was. No, the universe had a beginning. And in the intervening years, there's any number of other types of evidence that point with that to the, to the fact, the other discoveries that this universe that we live in had a beginning point. And from that beginning point, it's expanding. Consider the second law of thermodynamics. You've probably been thinking about that a lot, that second law of thermodynamics. It comes up probably a lot in your normal life, I'm sure. But it's the idea that a closed system, unless more energy is put into it, the energy within it dissipates and eventually it runs out, the energy in a closed system. In other words, the universe is running out of energy. Now, good thing to know, sun's in good shape, we're all good for a long, long time, but just know that it's slowly running out of steam, astrophysicist Robert Jastro admitted the reality of that when he said, minute by minute, year by year, as hydrogen is used up in stars, the supply of this element in the universe is growing smaller. So here's the basic concept. You drive a car, its gas tank is full. As you drive it, unless you put more energy into the closed system of your car, unless you put more gas in it, what will eventually happen? You're going to be walking, yes, so that closed system left to itself, uh, the, the energy will eventually be used up. And so we understand that from a car, and that's what's going on in our universe, that there's a finite amount of energy, and it's being used up, which points to the fact that our universe had a beginning. It's not been here forever. The universe is not eternal. The universe had a beginning. And, if, and, and we know that everything that had a beginning had a cause the universe had a cause. Every beginning had a beginner. <laughs> so let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf for us and how that relates to what we're talking about. Either someone created something out of nothing. That's God. That's what we believe. Either someone, God, created something out of nothing, our view, or no one created something out of nothing, the atheistic or naturalist view. So it's logical to conclude that there is an intelligent creator, a designer, an uncaused cause, which we believe is God. It's either God or nothing. Do you believe that God caused something? Or do you believe that nothing caused something? So I like the title of that book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I like that title. So we have a rational, in, 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 in short, we have a rational basis for our faith in an uncaused cause, which is our God. But there's more. Secondly, another piece of evidence that points to our God can be described, another fancy theological word, the theolo theological, uh, teleological argument. And that comes from the word telos in the Greek, which means it's the evidence from design. And here's the logic. Every design has a designer. The universe has a very complex design that we can see. Therefore, the universe has a designer. Isaac Newton marveled at, at the universe, and he said this, 
If the solar system, the most beautiful system of sun and planets and comets, could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent, powerful being. And William Parley is credited with putting the cookies on the bottom shelf when he made this common sense argument, every watch has a watchmaker. You don't walk down the street and see a diamond-studded Rolex watch and assume that as a result of, of, of chance and, and, and wind and rain and erosion and vast amounts of time that that diamond-studded Rolex just appeared on the street. You pick it up and you think, wow, there's a designer somewhere. There's a, there's a watchmaker somewhere that puts some time in this piece. That's logical. There's no question that there's a watchmaker somewhere. And science continues to, to, to discover example after example of the fine-tuning of our universe. Fine-tuning that results in, in what would be improbable if there wasn't this fine-tuning for life on this planet, life as we know it in this universe. And so if you're taking notes, you could say it this way, design points to a designer. Let me give you some examples of the fine-tuning for life that we see in our world. 21% of the oxygen in the air is just right for life. More, and you would burn up. Less, and you'd suffocate. The sun is just the right distance from the earth. Closer, and we would burn up. I see that, see that theme, that burn-up theme. Okay. Uh, closer, and we would burn up. Further, and we would freeze. The tilt of the earth is just at the right angle, 23 degrees. It's just right for life. Otherwise, it would be too cold at night, too hot during the day. If the rotation of the earth took longer than 24 hours, temperatures would be different. The temperatures would be too great during the night and the day. Earth would be unable to sustain life. If the rotation period of the earth were shorter, atmospheric winds and velocities would be too great. Again, no life. If Jupiter were not in the exact precise location in the current orbit that it has, earth would be bombarded with space matter Jupiter's gravitational field acts like a cosmic vacuum cleaner sucking stuff that would otherwise pummel the earth and destroy life. And of all the laws of physics that can be described, one of the, one of the ones that, that, that is a constant that you put into the, into, the, into the physics equations a lot is the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second. And if that was off just a bit, all those other things would be off as well and askew as well and again Short answer to what is a rather complex thing. Our universe is so highly tuned, narrowly tuned for life. It's a powerful point for an intelligent designer. Astronomer Fred Hoyle concluded a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The fine-tuning of the universe points to intelligence requiring a God. And then real quick, the third final piece of evidence, there's a lot of others, but I just picked three for us today would be the idea, and the, the argument goes like this, every law has a lawgiver. There is a moral law in our world, and therefore there is a moral lawgiver. It, really, it's hard to argue that written on the heart of humanity is a moral law, a prescription that defines the basics of right and wrong. And that prescription could be called a conscience. It's been called nature's law. Our founding father call, fathers called it natural law. Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, nature's law is, do you remember what he said? Self 
evident. You can see it, all of us. And so the moral law that's been prescribed on the hearts of all human beings points to the fact that someone prescribed it. Every prescription has a prescriber. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of debates about uh, right and wrong and the nuances of that. Uh, and, and we know that there's a lot of corners that the truth is being suppressed. Romans tells us that our world would be that way, where the truth about everything would be suppressed, about God would be suppressed. And there's a lot of suppression going on. There's a lot of things that happen that are written on our heart. People do them anyway. We see that. But written on our hearts is that basic idea, it's wrong to kill innocent human beings for no reason. And we might suppress that knowledge. We might ignore that knowledge, but it's there. Murdering innocent people is wrong in this country, in India, in Zimbabwe, and all around the world. I'm reminded of the Nazi war criminals that were put on trial following World War II in Nuremberg. And they were put on trial by a military, international military tribunal tribunal and they were put on trial because they the as they were put on trial there were things that that across the world are right and wrong and that's what they were tried for crimes against peace crimes against war crimes crimes against humanity things that this moral law that is written on all of our hearts we all hold to be true and right collectively and that we inherently understand that if that were not the case what the nazis ultimately did isn't wrong if it's not written on our hearts by a moral lawgiver. C.S. Lewis said it this way, you don't know that a line is crooked without having some, having some idea of a straight line and the moral law written on our hearts by God, he wrote what a straight line on our heart looks like. The moral lawgiver. I love what Robert Jastrow said in the conclusion of his book, God and the Astronomers. He said this, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's, uh, he's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over that final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. I'm glad that I've been sitting there with the understanding, the belief, based on the solid logic and the foundation of truth, that there is a God and that he created. Science and faith are not at odds. In fact, I love this foundation that science builds for us, the foundation that our faith stands on. But to be intellectually honest today, we have to admit both the theist, which we are, and the atheist has to admit that we come to our conclusions at the end of the day by faith. And so the question is, where will we put our faith? That there is a God? Or that there's no God. I either believe by faith, not by blind faith, but a reasonable faith that God created, that God is the great uncaused cause, or I believe by faith that there is no God and that all of it came from nothing. Either something created, or either someone created something out of nothing, or no one created something out of nothing. Where are you going to put your faith? Invite our worship team to come back up. I invited you at the very beginning. I told you that I was going to give you an opportunity to, if you never invited Christ to be your Savior, to give you that opportunity today, and I want to do that. I just want to tell you that it's, it's reasonable to put your faith in Jesus, to put your faith in the Son of God, the God who created everything. 
That he so wanted to be in relationship with us that he sent Jesus to die that we could have life. Mortimer Adler observed that our conclusions about God impacts every area of our lives. It's the key to finding unity and diversity and ultimate meaning in life. It's literally the most important question every human being has to address. So what are you going to do? Will you, by faith, put your trust in God? I'm going to give you a chance in just a moment to pray with me, and I want to pray with you. Secondly, do you have someone that you know that is far from God, that is maybe struggling with faith and belief? I would invite you as we sing this final song, I would invite you to pray for them, to hold them up to the Lord, and to just invite God to help you to help them, to, to just ask God to help you to be someone that could help them as that passage again in First Peter talks about the, to give, help them to understand the hope that's within you, to be ready to give that answer, to just ask God, ask God to prepare you, to get you ready to give that answer for the hope that you have. And third, friends, if you're here today and you're struggling and you're walking through some valley as we sing this final song, I just want to invite you to reach out and put your faith in Jesus and encourage, be encouraged by, by our God who loves you, that wants to walk with you. And we've been very, very up here, very heady in what we talked about today, very cerebral in our conversation today. But we also believe today in the supernatural, in the supernatural God that loves you, that cares for you, that spoke out of nothing this world into existence. And the same God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die, that you could have life. Will you reach out to him today and let him walk with you? So will you stand with me? I want to pray for us. And as you stand today, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads today. And do you have, have something you're going through that you just want to say to God, God, I, I just need to know that you're here with me and I just want to reach out to you. And just as you reach up your hand, it's just a symbol that you're reaching up to God. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Just Would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? But God, I, I need you. I want you. I just, I need your help today. I, I just want And then I said I was going to give you a chance, and this is your chance. Do you want to put your faith in Christ? Do you want to just admit that you don't have all the answers, and we're never going to have all the answers? It's by faith. And I, I choose by faith today to put my faith in God, Jesus of my Savior, the eternity he has in store for me. Not in the stuff anymore, in the world, but in God. Do you want to put your faith in God today? Embrace Christ as your Savior today. Will you raise your hand? And I want to pray for you. That's all I'm going to ask you to do is just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name today, I pray for those individuals that are going through a tough time. And today, as we've talked about science and logic and all those things, God, God, what they've needed is just a reminder that you love them, that you're here. And so, God, thank you for that reminder. In this this discussion about how big and how grand you are, God, that, that they can know and to be reminded, God, that you love them personally. Help them today. Be near them today. Have them the sense that you are here. And God, for that person that, that, that just raised their hand that said, God, I, for the first time, I just want to, or I want to come back to you. I, I'm just saying that today. I want to put my faith in you. I've struggled, God, and I, I've had hurdles to belief. And, but today, God, I choose by faith to put my faith in you. As they pray that prayer, God, I thank you that you're forgiving them. I thank you, God, that you're giving them new life in Christ. I thank you that you're writing their name in, in your book of life. And there's an eternity in store for them. I pray you would encourage them today. 
And now as we sing this final song, I pray, God, that you would just encourage us. You would work in us, God, as we know that the supernatural God is in this place today. Speak to us now in the concluding moments of this service. We pray in Jesus' name.